It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to the show. My guest today is Lee Sauls, speaker, consultant, and author of the best-selling book, Higher Right, Higher Profits, and the founder of one of the biggest sales discussion groups on LinkedIn. So if you want to grow your business, it's going to start with sales, which means you have to hire the right sales reps who give you the highest probability of achieving your objectives. Now, on the face of it, it seems like finding these high performers should be a relatively easy task, but it isn't. And Lee, who has written extensively on hiring the right people, is going to share some of his tips on how you can do that today. So, Lee, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Andy. So, just take a minute, fill out the introduction of yourself a little bit. Oh, sure. So, um, gosh, I, I entered sales in the oddest of ways. I, out of college, became the executive director of a health club chain because I was really into fitness and discovered that fitness is not an overly lucrative industry, but fell in love with the business part of it Right. and saw that, you know what, sales is a really fun place to be. So I flipped the equation and exercise and lifting became a hobby that I'm still passionate about to this day, but sales is what I'm all about. So do you compete in lifting? I, I do. I compete in powerlifting. Still today? Still today. State tournaments in February. Oh, wow. So it's age group? Um, there's different groups that I compete in. There's a by age, also by weight, uh, but... There is one segment that I compete against the 20-something-year-olds, even though I'm 46. 46? You don't look 46. So what is that segment? Tell us. What do you What do you lift? How much do you lift? Let people know. How much do you lift? <laughs> Isn't that everyone's favorite question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How much can you bench? Right. Well, if you've ever seen powerlifting, powerlifting is not the same bench press as what you see in the gym where you see people bouncing it off their chest and butt coming up. Right. So in the gym, the most I've ever done is 365, weighing about 180-something pounds. Uh, wow. In a tournament, uh, the most that I've done is 330. Wow. So is that the event you compete against the Young Bucks in? I do. Bench press. Wow. And that's like – I mean, you think about it. Those so 300 and something pounds, you weigh, You said you weigh about 180, right? Mm-hmm. And at the pro football combine, the bench te bench press test they use is what, 20 reps of 220 pounds? 225. Something? 225. Yep. And you're smoking the pro football players. Wow. <laughs> okay. New, new found respect for Lee Sauls. Also, no, not to mess around with them anymore. So, <laughs> so very exciting stuff. So, you write about sales hiring. Let's jump into that. So, is that the biggest challenge, sales challenge for any company that's trying to accelerate its growth today? I mean, our audiences, small, mid-sized businesses, you know, they don't do a very good job hiring by and large. I mean, isn't that the biggest challenge? It's, you know, it's interesting. I would say it's the biggest challenge, but at the same time, there isn't a recognition among executives and business owners that it is because there's a disconnect. They'll sit in conference rooms and, hey, let's come up with our strategy for the year and our plans and how we're going to pay people. And then they don't look back and say, given the strategy we've put together, do we have the right people to execute it? 
And by the way, when we're hiring people, what should we be looking for given the strategy that we have going forward? Instead, they just say, hey, let's go get some great salespeople. Make it happen. And, <laughs> and you know how that story plays out, Andy, don't yeah. you? Just go get me some good salespeople. There you go. So the biggest mistake then that, that you're finding that business owners and entrepreneurs and hiring managers and sales make is is what I mean I, I find I guess I'll lead off and throw out something that I see is they don't define the job very well right so they haven't made the connection between what needs to be accomplished versus what skills and experiences this person they're going to hire has to have you're exactly right that is a big issue I'll take it a step further and say that the a number one issue and this is the crusade that I'm on and it's a very controversial topic I take the stance that says there's no such thing as a great salesperson and okay. I get some, I get some odd looks and even your response there is like okay this <laughs> well, one I'm thinking I about it I'm thinking about it yeah so so deconstruct that for a second what do you mean well I can prove it I ask executives all the time how many of these so-called great salespeople have you hired but they failed in the role right they had great track records great resumes fantastic look but they failed in that company. So if you believe in this entity called great salespeople, then you must also subscribe to one of two of the following given their failure. Either the salesperson arrived at the company and completely forgot how to sell, or this company is the absolute worst company to sell for in the history of business. I mean, it's got to be one of those two, right? If you believe in great salespeople. So, so if there are no great salespeople, what are there? They need to look for the right salespeople, back to what you were saying before about that criteria, the right salespeople with the potential to be great in a specific role in a company. In my experience in looking at sales roles, every it's almost like DNA. Every sales role is unique in every company. Now, there's some factors that you can say across the board. If you're going to be in sales, and I've come up with four of them, that you got to have. But then you start getting into the role, and there's such nuances for every single sales role. I'll t I could take three competitors. At least this is how these companies would describe them. Three competitors and say, I could take a salesperson from one company, put them in another one, they fail. Put them in a third one, they fail even worse. Selling similar type products. So, competitors. Yeah, yeah. Right, So you could have one that says, you know, our focus is selling on price because we're the low price guy. The other one saying we're the high value. You got the one that provides an army of sales support. And then you have another one that says that the salesperson is supposed to do everything in the sale. Then you have an environment where the salesperson's job is to just get the conversation going. And then there's an army of technical support people in whatever industry you're talking sure, about. Sure, sure that come and help build a solution. And then there are companies where they say, no, 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 that's the salesperson's job is to go end zone to end zone, if you will. So you, you talk about this word potential, right? I mean, is that what you're talking about? Is you know, hiring potential? It's some, look, so coming back to the point that you made of analyzing the role and coming up with what I refer to as performance factors, okay. factors that lead to someone succeeding, failing, or underperforming in a particular role in a company. Let's give an example of that for people listening. So if you're a business owner, you're looking at hiring a salesperson, what are those performance factors 
what should they be? Or you know, give examples of what they should be. Well, and this is part of a workshop I do with companies because, again, each role is unique, but I'll give you one that comes up. Sure. Writing skills. Writing skills. Not often discussed when you look at salespeople. Yet how much communication is there in written form, whether it be in emails or proposals? And we say, okay, we, we look at, in this particular role, how much effect writing skills has on success or failure in this particular role. And then from there, say, okay, is this an environment that you can teach writing skills or a desire to teach writing skills? And most employers say, I'm not running a high school here. I'm not teaching writing skills. So then you take a step back and say, all right, if we're not going to teach writing skills, and we've said writing skills is a highly impactful um, performance factor, then we better evaluate candidates for writing skills before we ever extend an offer. How many interview processes have you seen, Andy, that includes some type of writing sample where they're looking to see if that candidate can put two words in a sentence in a meaningful way? Mine. <laughs> I do with companies, absolutely. But yes. it's, it's an interesting thing, this writing, because I'm a, you and I have talked about this before. I'm a huge believer in this because, mm-hmm. to me, it, it talks about attention to detail, right? And sales is a detailed business, detail-oriented business. So it just drives me nuts when I get emails from sales reps that have obvious spelling mistakes in them where it's just not a transposition or juxtaposition of words or letters, but they just, you know, they were careless. You can tell they were careless. Drives me nuts. Hmm. I mean, and so I guess my question is, how do you sensitize managers to that though, right? Because I I can tell you from my experience working with hundreds of companies smaller companies working with owners and you know sales executives sales managers and smaller companies they're just not sensitized to that they don't think it's necessarily important but to me it's it's huge and i i used to always find myself bringing it up you know it's like hey this is a problem and they just certainly didn't get it so how do you sensitize them to that well i i get these calls periodically from senior executives that'll say i just saw the most embarrassing document representing our company, meaning a salesperson had written a proposal and it was the most embarrassing thing that they've ever seen for their brand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'll ask them that, that, I'll say, okay, so you're saying that writing skills is important for this role? And I say, oh, absolutely. And tell me how you evaluated candidates for writing skills. And you hear crickets chirping because they don't. Right. So you, you're back into it and lead them down the path of so when you've seen emails written by your salespeople, what letter grade would you give? And then inherently every time the eyes start rolling, you just look around the room and for the next half hour they share stories. Hey, do you remember that that email that Phil sent? Oh my gosh. And the phone call that the CEO got about this proposal who thought it was hieroglyphics, not even English. You get my point. Oh yeah. Well, and I think it's yeah. a, yeah, and you're really talking about a bigger subject, which I think is so important, is that when you've defined those skills, those experiences that are essential to success in the job that you're hiring for, yeah. uh, you, okay. you, need, you need to test that, that people actually have them. Absolutely. So I'll give you another example um, of performance factor is what type of sale is this? Is this one where you're creating demand like you have this new innovation or is this takeaway business, meaning they're using a competitor and you're trying to get them to buy from you instead of the competitor. Those are two completely different types of sales. 
In my experience, companies are not interested in teaching someone if they don't have the background in takeaway business and how to do that effectively, and also with the same thing of introducing a new solution. So understanding what type that type of sale it is, and again, evaluating candidates to see, do they have the background and expertise in performing that type of sale? And put them to the test. I mean, I, I was interviewing uh, last week, uh, recording an episode with Mark Roberge, who was the chief revenue officer at HubSpot when they got started and, and mm-hmm. built their sales team. And one of the things that was key to them was, yeah, people that were able to you know, be good presenters. And, but on top of that is that they were coachable, right? Because if you're a manager, you want somebody to be able to mold somebody to be able to do a better job. That's part of your responsibility as manager. That's right. And so in their interview process, people would have to give presentations. They would give them a little prep time and, and uh, give them uh, 10, 15 minutes to prepare for a presentation. They'd come in, they'd give a presentation, and then they would coach them and ask them to give it again and see if they responded to the coaching. So, you know, sort of a two for one. Two yep. things that were really important for them, coachability, presentation skills, tested both in the interview. And so, it, to me, you have to, as a hiring manager, you have to, you, ha- you must test the skills you think are essential to your job that you're hiring for. Well, and you and I have had the conversation, you know, ba- the foundation of my book that you referenced earlier, Higher Right, Higher Profits, is that not thinking of hiring as adding someone to the team, but rather the company is making an investment in a sales team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and each person, each salesperson represents a, an investment that the company is making, and that's an investment in revenue. So if you're not carefully evaluating your investment opportunities, if you will, you have a risk of making a poor investment and never seeing a return on it. And there's an opportunity cost associated with that, too, because research showing that, at least my article I read, that the cost of a bad sales hire was seven times the first year salary. Not surprising. So I mean, that's a huge opportunity cost. So just a little bit more investment of time up front can make such a difference. So. Testing writing skills, absolutely essential. I had one client, I mean, if if he got a resume and there was a single formatting error on the resume and you know, in Word, the person was disqualified. He wasn't going to talk to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he took it to that extreme. Then another client that he was hiring a new director of sales and being able to be self-sufficient was really important. That is, you know, because they were going to be out in not a big company and the sales director didn't have anybody to lean on to create his PowerPoint presentations and so on. So, and this was a startup. Mm-hmm. And so one of the skills that they wanted to test was to make sure a person could just create a PowerPoint presentation. And so that <laughs> I helped him put this together when I was the director of sales, they're hiring as candidates came in the first thing before we ever talked to them, we'd put them in a conference room with a laptop and a data sheet and say, you have 10 minutes, put together a three-slide presentation on the product on the data sheet. And then we're going to come in and you're going to pitch it to us. And we, we brought in 20 candidates for that job, you know, sort of the screening method. And fully two-thirds of them walked out without ever attempting to do it. Wow. There's a technique that, that I use with clients that, that helps with writing. And actually, to the point that you gave earlier, it actually tests several different things which is at the very end of a candidate evaluation process, once they've met everyone, they understand everything, the information's been shared, you ask the candidate to provide a one-page plan, just one page, only one page. You notice I said that three times, as you do with the candidate. 
in which that individual is going to share how he will make himself successful in the role. A one-page plan, how to be successful in the role, okay? On how he's going to make himself successful in the role, and then you don't give him a deadline. You ask him when he can have this prepared for you. And this little technique, which costs the company nothing to put into practice, gives you exposure into five different things. Number one, you see how well they communicate in written form, Mm -hmm. how well they understand the role. Is their plan of attack philosophically aligned with you as the manager and how you want to see someone go into the field selling for you? Did they follow directions? You three times said you wanted one page. (laughs) Okay. Three times, yes. Three times. And did they give you the second coming of War and Peace? what they wanted to give you or what you as the potential client, if this was a selling situation has requested and can they meet a self-imposed deadline? Because if they can't meet their own deadline, there's no way they're ever going to meet a client's or yours as the sales manager. Genius. I love it. I love it. I've had more candidate fallout from this technique than anything else I've ever put into place. I once had, I was, but you've hired good people hopefully as well. I have, absolutely. Well, what I gained was visibility and another vantage point into that candidate. I once had a a sales candidate. The name of the company was Employee Health Programs. This was back in in D.C. almost 20 years ago. Hired – well, I'm sorry. Was evaluating a candidate for – and we were at the final step. Everyone loved them and asked them to do this one-page plan. On this one page – He spelled the company name wrong three (laughs) different ways. Oh, gosh. Don't you love it? I mean, employee health programs. It doesn't get any easier than that. Found three different ways to spell it wrong. And and I have had people that I've been blown away, that we thought they were a pretty good candidate. And what they put in writing, their approach, their understanding of the role – They hit the mark as far as when they said they were going to have it to us. If not, they were early. Got it down succinctly into one page, just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, and I think it's a great idea. So you have that in your book? That is, yep. All right, so we're going to take a short break here. Remember, people are on the break. Take a second. Go look at Amazon. uh, Higher right, higher profits. That's like elevated profits, H-I-G-H-E-R, profits, by my guest, Lee Sauls. Now, Lee, before we go to the break, question to ask you here. So hypothetical scenario. I said before, I ask this of every one of my guests. So you're a new manager that's been hired to come into a company because their sales have stalled and you need to do a sales turnaround. Upper management's really, really anxious for you to do something to make an impact. So what two things would you do in the first week that would have the biggest impact? So think about that and we'll come back after the break and hear your answer. Attention sales leaders. Would you like to give your sales team the tools to drive more quality connects scale their outreach, and spend more time selling? Well, you can with LiveHive. Get your ROI. Try it now at livehive.com forward slash ROI. That's livehive, L-I-V-E-H-I-V-E dot com forward slash ROI. Hi, welcome back. My guest today is Lee Sauls, author of Higher Right, Higher Profits, and we've had a great conversation so far about how you test candidates for the skills that you need to have in the job. So before the break, I posed this hypothetical scenario to you. 
need to do a sales turnaround on a company and sales have stalled. What two things would you do in the first week that would have the biggest impact? So the first thing is I would not be in my office. I would be out with the salespeople and doing two things. One, visiting with clients and prospective clients because I want to see what exactly is happening in the field. I don't want to have ivory tower syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I'd also be interviewing each one of those salespeople to understand what brought them to the company, why they stay at the company, what they see as opportunities for the company to grow, what they think we're missing, and getting to know them as people. All right. And the second? Well, no, those are the two. Oh, Visiting. those are two together. Okay, yeah. Two and yeah. one. Gosh, you like those two and one things. That's good. It's also in your tips in your book. There you uh, go. Excellent. No, I like that answer. Good. So, so what are the three best, in your mind, three best interview questions to ask? Because... Yeah, I hate these traditional strengths and weaknesses questions and, you know, people are prepared for those, the pat answers, and they never shine light on anything. So what have you found in your experience? Hiring a sales rep are the best questions to ask. The ones that map back to the performance factors. So in other words, to your point, picking out these grandiose questions, these hypothetical ones, sell me this pen, you know, the, the ones I'm sure you've heard in your <laughs> yeah, career. Right. What my counsel is to clients is you put this list of performance factors together and develop interview questions based on each one of them. And sometimes they need outside help and, and I help them with that. But if you sit down and you look at each one of those performance factors and you say, okay, what am I going to ask a candidate that's going to expose the match or the strength of the match between this candidate and that particular performance factor? So. My counsel to, uh, to clients is not to have a structured interview, meaning you read in some book, use all these interview questions. My counsel is to understand the factors that lead success, failure, and underperformance in the role, put a candidate evaluation process in place, which includes scripting out interview questions, and using those interview questions with every candidate that you bring in so that you can compare and contrast them. But these are not arbitrary questions that you come up with. So, boy, this seems like a fun one to ask. Right. You want, you want questions and also understanding the responses or the spectrum of responses that are going to indicate the strength of the match between the candidate and the role. So let's take a success factor beyond other than writing skills. Give us an example one and a type of question you might ask to try to draw something out of a candidate. Sure. So if a performance factor was uh, someone that had an expertise in selling to CFOs. Okay. All right. So I want to see how well they understand CFOs. So a question I might ask is, in your experience in calling on CFOs, what is the A number one challenge that you found that they share with you? Okay. Interesting. Okay? Because that's going to give me some insight to how well they understand the individual's that they're calling on. I don't want to hear reaching them. That's, I don't even have to answer, ask the question. I'm going to, I know that answer. I want to know when you have met with CFOs, what is the A number one challenge that they've shared with you that they have? What's keeping them up at night? Right, which really, in my mind, sort of illustrates two skills. One is that you're able to build sort of the intimacy and the trust with them that they would answer that question. And two, that you knew to ask that question, right? That you got to the point where you could ask a, uh, an insightful question like that. Absolutely. And, and the third is how well they truly understand the makeup of a CFO. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, that's good. That's good. So what about reference checks then? Because, again, 
I I have a you know major pet peeve with with uh, clients and small businesses sort of getting lazy with reference checks so that you know they tend to do them once they fall in love with the candidate mm-hmm. right and so yeah. reference checks are just like uh, oh gosh you know just tell me how much I love this person I don't want to hear anything bad about them because I've already made up my mind so right. I recommend to people they do reference checks like after the first interview before they bring them back for the second interview what's what's your take on that. So the, there's a couple things on references. One is I found a lot of companies have gotten away from it because we're in such a litigious society that companies have been – the managers have been trained. They've been taught if someone calls for an interview or for a reference, excuse me, send them to HR and HR gives you name, rank and serial number. But there's a question when I ask a candidate to provide – three to five references that I can speak with. I only want to ask the candidate to provide people that will speak with me and that have professional experience with them. And I'm only going to ask the reference one question. Okay. Which is, can you share with me the environment in which this individual will be highly successful? Oh, good question. Very good question. That question then gives me a laundry list of responses that I then go back to my performance factors and say, tell me about the strength of the match here. So when you, I like it. I like it. So when do you typically do those reference checks? Um, I have some clients that do them right after the first interview, as you described. Some do it just before the offer. Some do it as part of a background check post-offer. So what do you suggest in terms of doing sort of the um – I don't know, there's a term for it that I'm blanking on, but, you know, going out and looking into your LinkedIn network and seeing who you know that knows this person and doing, that they haven't necessarily referred to you, and either talking to that person or finding them uh, refer you to somebody that's even closer to the candidate. But, you know, using your network to check people as opposed to taking the names they give you. I, I have not gone to, to that extent, nor have I recommended it. I, I want to at least... Start the relationship off on the right foot. By doing that, there's a potential. Let's say you start doing this and it turns out everything works out and you bring the the salesperson on and he finds out that behind the scenes you were going and talking to this person and that person through the LinkedIn network. It could create a potential trust issue. So that's not a method that I'm an advocate for. But back to what you were talking about with the reference check, if I'm going to lose, I want to lose early. So I suggest doing all that due diligence as early in the process as, as possible. So if the after the first interview, you are intrigued by that candidate, getting those three to five names so that you can have those conversations is a great thing to do. Why would you want to go through all the steps of the process, get to the finish line, and then go, oh, this isn't somebody that, that's going to work out here? Right. All right. Well, here's sort of the last question on the subject then is – what are the biggest mistakes salespeople make in selling themselves for their next job? The biggest one is that they don't evaluate the opportunity as much as they're being evaluated for the opportunity. They come in thinking, I've got to sell myself and get this job, a one direction. What they need to be doing is evaluating. They have to go through an introspective exercise and understand themselves and know where they would be successful, where they wouldn't be successful, what things that uh, they would learn about a particular sales environment that would say it's right for them or not right for them. 
And so they don't necessarily go through the introspective exercise, nor do they evaluate that opportunity. All they want to know is how much money can I make in the role? That's, that's the focus of the conversation. But those dollars can very quickly become a mirage if they don't have the knowledge and skills to be successful in the role. If they're not going to match to those performance factors that we talked about. So that's the real big one is, number one, not doing that introspective exercise and understanding themselves. And number two, evaluating the role as much as they're being evaluated for it. Yeah, I agree. Because I salespeople, especially as you're younger and you're newer in your sales career, you have this tendency to think that you can sell anything, right? If you have a little bit of success selling something, you think you can sell anything. And as you get more experience, you begin to find out that that's not the case, right? And there are horses for courses, and you need to find out which is the right course for you. And you may not want to sell something. Yeah, well, that's true right. too, right? Absolutely. A salesperson not being passionate about what they're what they're selling, very difficult to sell it. So, you know, it has to be something that they can get excited about. I agree. Good. All right. So now we're going to move into the last segment of the show. I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers or you can elaborate if you wish. You ready? Ready. Fire. What's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal? CRM. Name one tool you use for managing your sales that you can't live without. CRM. Who's your sales role model? Oh, my sales role model. Jill Conrath. I Hard to pick a better one. Um, what's the one book every salesperson should read besides your own? <laughs> I'm going to go out and talk about uh, Jeb Blunt's new book. Fanatical uh, Prospecting, yes. That's one. It's new. It's hot. And that's the one that I recommend that a salesperson needs to pick up and read right away. What's your favorite music to listen to to psych yourself up for an important call or when you're lifting? Rocky. Rocky, okay. Rocky One, the theme from Rocky One. You got it. Excellent. So what's the first sales activity you do every day? First sales activity, well, the day before, I will have put together my to-do list of things that need to be done. So I will already have prioritized what I need to start off with, and then I go right to it. Okay. Last question. What's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople? How did you get started? And what's your answer? I tell them the story that we opened with, which was I fell into sales being in the fitness industry. And the lesson they draw from that is? Is to be open to opportunity. My, right. my daughter right now, she's a junior in high school, and we're having these conversations about college and majors and what she wants to do and letting her know that she needs to keep all of her options open because she may find that Based on classes, being in a particular environment, she may find there's a path that's more intriguing than the one that she was on. Yeah, and having an open mind as a salesperson is so essential because you know, you're going to find opportunities with customers that you just hadn't imagined. You know, if you're going to follow a straight path and only sell you know, with blinders on, you're going to miss a lot of opportunities. Absolutely. All right. Well, I want to thank today's guest, Lee Sauls, for joining me. Lee, how can people learn more about you? They can go to salesarchitects.com. Salesarchitects.com. Great. Well, remember, everybody, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your business. Subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and Stitchers is a great way to make sure that you don't miss any of our conversations with top experts like our guest today, Lee Sauls. 
who share their experience and wisdom about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com. 